Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Pastor Xavier Reese. Amos 3.3 says, Can two walk together unless they be agreed? It's a rhetorical question with an obvious answer. No. The agreement, ladies and gentlemen, is upon God's word. We agree with God that we're going to walk together. If we're going to be united, it's going to be based on the common denominator of God's word, His truths. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. We've heard that parting can be sweet sorrow, and in the case of the Apostle Paul bidding farewell to the elders of the church at Ephesus, we see a pastor, after having taught the whole counsel of God to the believers there, continuing on in ministry and facing unknown physical harm, and in all likelihood never seeing them again. And though it was a time of sadness, Paul's intent was to finish his call to ministry with joy. Here's Pastor Xavier Reese with Paul's witness from Acts chapter 20. Paul the Apostle is meeting with the Ephesian elders as we've seen for one last time in order to impart to them his final instructions for ministry. Paul declares to them three absolute truths about himself as their pastor here in verses 25 through 27. Let me read. And indeed now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Paul declares to them three absolute truths about himself as their pastor. They're as follows. First, he had the faithful sense they would not see him again in verse 25. Secondly, Paul had been faithful to warn them about sin and judgment in verse 26. And then thirdly and 27, Paul had been faithful to declare to them all of God's word. This is an incredible witness before these men, for he has lived with them for about three years, night and day, established the church, has gone through difficult times with them. Any of these men could refute him at any point in this discourse. They could have called him on and said, you're lying, Paul. You're exactly nothing. And he's confronting them out of his concern for them and love and knowing through the Spirit of God things that would befall the church in the future as we'll see. Now let's begin here. Paul had the faithful sense they would not see him again. Again, he says, and indeed, now I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. Notice Paul had first come to Ephesus, if you remember, at the end of the second missionary journey. In Acts 18, verse 18, he had sailed from Syria with Priscilla and Aquila, at which time uh, he had made a vow in Sincrea. And he arrived at Ephesus in verse 19 of chapter 18, leaving Priscilla and Aquila. And he entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. This was his custom all the time. He loved the Jews. He loved his people. He always went to them first. But there was always a rejection, as we've seen. In verse 20 and 21 of chapter 18, he was asked to stay longer, but he refused, declaring he had to be in Jerusalem for the feast. But if it was God's will, he would return. Remember that the law required all male Jews over the age of 20 to be in Jerusalem three times a year. It was for Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. Now, 
He did return in Acts 19 verse 1 in his third missionary journey, and he remained there for three years, and Acts 20 verse 31 gives us that total number of years. Three months he went to the synagogue and spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading the Jews concerning the things of the kingdom. But when some of them were hardened, they did not believe and they spoke evil against the way. And the way is always a reference to Christianity. That's what they were called first, those on the way. The first time they were called Christians is in the church of Antioch, as you remember. And so he departed from there and withdrew himself with some disciples and reasoned daily in the school of Tyrannus, Acts 19.9 tells us. So he stayed in Ephesus, he dealt with the Jew first, then he's dealing with those who accepted Christ and began his ministry there. In verse 10 of 19, this continued for two years, so that all who dwell in Asia, we are told, heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jew and Gentile. And as you know, the majority of Paul's ministry from Ephesus expanded out to the seven churches of Revelation. He just had a flourishing ministry, and, and, and God just blessed him all through Asia there. Now, Notice also that Paul had gone about preaching the kingdom of God, he says. This is the focus that he's reminding them. The word for preaching, caruso, as you know, we've covered it many times, speaks of a herald. That's what it means. And he was hired by the king or the states to make declaration or proclamation or decrees. And um, the message was not his, it was given to him. And so with Paul. The message of the gospel was given them to proclaim. It wasn't his. The authority was not his. It was vested to him. And so likewise with Paul, it was vested to him by Jesus Christ. Just as the king or the state would vest that messenger. But also, this messenger, this herald, this Caruso would proclaim it. But he was not responsible for the response of the people. He was only responsible to proclaim it clearly and faithfully. And so with Paul and every preacher who teaches and preaches the word of God. I do my best to pray for you, to prepare, to wait upon the Lord and get ready. Now I proclaim it with all boldness, with all love, and with all excitement to see what God's going to do. But I am not responsible for your response. God will convict your heart, will direct your heart, and you must make decisions upon what you hear. And God will hold you responsible for what you hear. That's why it's a very fearful thing to sit under a preacher, a teacher, or a church that teaches the Word of God. Because the more you're exposed, the more you hear, the more you're accountable. You understand? The phrase kingdom is the kingdom of God. It refers to a person. A plan and purpose of God over the world to reign in the hearts of men and women. The person of God is all-powerful, as you know, all-present and all-knowing. And is in control of everything in spite of what we see and what we believe. He's on the throne, and as I've told you often, he's not biting his nails. The plan of God is to save lost man by the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, by grace through faith, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. There's no other way that man can be saved. The purpose of God is to break the power of sin in the life of men and women through repentance and to use them as instruments of the gospel and good works, Ephesians 2.10 tells us. Taking us from a condition of dead and trespass and sins, children of wrath by nature, children's disobedience to children of God, Ephesians 2.1 and 2. An amazing miracle that God does. The church is the bride of Christ being collected now. And one day she will be removed. Raptured from this world, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. 
after the church is removed, as you know, seven years of tribulation and great tribulation will take place. And then Jesus will come back with his church to set up his kingdom. And this is very clear in Revelation 19. So the kingdom of God is his royal power, dominion, and rule currently present in this world, this earth, alongside the kingdom of Satan. You would have to be totally naive to not acknowledge the corruption, the decay, the immorality, the evilness of our world today. It's no longer regional, local, state-wise, or national. It's worldwide. The rule of the kingdom of God is by individual choice, by being born again. We bow our knee, we submit to Him, recognizing we're sinners, that He might rule our heart and change our hearts. And He, through His Holy Spirit, allows us to live a life that is pleasing to Him. Never perfection, but we're, they're totally different than what we used to be. The kingdom of God is present, but yet to come in its full authority and power. It's present now. We're examples of that. But we don't believe that everybody's saved. Now, America polls tell us that 70% of America is Christian. Somebody's smoking something. If 70% of America was Christian, 70% of the evil that's going on wouldn't be going on. You understand? The church is not the kingdom, but part of the kingdom. The church will not bring in the kingdom, but rather return with Jesus and He will set up the kingdom. There's a lot of kingdom theology that goes on. It's been around for a lot of years. We will never bring in the kingdom. Jesus brings in the kingdom. So don't let anybody convince you that you're going to bring in the kingdom by good works. You're not. It's not biblical. Now notice Paul had the conviction that this world, or that this would be his last meeting with them. And as you can understand, you, you've taken someone to the airport who you're going to leave and you're not going to see for a long time. We've all had partings with people who we've grown up with and they've moved away. And those close relationships, and they're very difficult. This is the scenario here. He returned to Jerusalem, as you know, after this, chapter 21 and 22. And he was arrested in the temple because he was supposed by the Asian Jews that came in, as they saw him with um, one of the um, Gentile uh, converts to Christianity, Trifumus, the Ephesian, in the city, they thought he brought him into the temple so that he had defiled the temple. So they yelled help and they accused Paul of breaking the law and, 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 and speaking against the temple and bringing Gentiles in, so they about killed him. He was rescued by the Roman centurion, as you know, there in chapter 21. And he was bound with chains, and as, as um, he was carrying them off, he asked permission to speak, and he, he spoke to them in Greek, and he says, aren't you that Egyptian that rebelled? He says, no, 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 I'm a, you know, a Jew of the city of Cilicia, of Tarsus. And, and he was given license to speak as he petitioned. And when he began to speak in the Aramaic, the mother tongue, which really was a, a sister language to the Hebrew, they gave him the more audience because they realized that he was an educated Jew, because not many people spoke Aramaic. And he was given an opportunity to explain himself, because the centurion didn't know what was going on, and so he allowed him to speak there at the stairs of the Antonius Fortress in chapter 22, 
In the first five verses, he declared his life conduct as a fervent religious Jew, a Pharisee of the strictest form, persecuting Christians. And then he moved from that in verses 6 and 11 to declare his life conversion as a disciple of Jesus Christ, ending his persecution of Christians. And then he finished up in verse 12 through 21 as Paul declared his life commission to the Gentiles becoming the object of persecution. And it was to this point in verse 22 of chapter 22 that they gave him audience until he mentioned that he was sent to the Gentiles. Then they went crazy all over again. Throwing dust in the air, tearing and flinging their coats, declaring they want to kill him. He was rescued once again by the commander. He was taken in and was going to be tortured to extract the truth from him. Paul the Apostle pulled out his Roman passport (laughs) and they all jumped back freaked out because you couldn't bind a Roman citizen or bring any execution or any judgment across him without a trial. And so the centurion had a meeting with the Sanhedrin to try to straighten this out. And as Paul entered in, as you know there in chapter 22, he, um, he realized that the Sanhedrin was made of Pharisees and Sadducees. The Pharisees believed in spirits, angels, resurrection. The Sadducees did not. And so he said, hey, I'm being in question of the resurrection. And they started fighting among themselves. So once again, they rescued Paul out of there. They take him to the barracks. And Jesus appears to him there in chapter 22, verse 10 and 11. And he says, Paul, as you have testified of me in Jerusalem... So will you in Rome. Now, Paul didn't know how he was going to get to Rome. But he got there. God has told you, you're going to get to heaven. But he hasn't told you how, has he? (laughs) Do you have your life planned out? Have you given God recommendations how you want to get there? He knows what's best for your life. You understand? After that, he was plotted against by the Jews to kill him in chapter 23. And um, they were going to petition him for further inquiry, and the plan was to kill him then. The discovery was made by Paul's nephew, as you know. He lived there in Jerusalem. He communicated to Paul. Paul sent him to the commander. The commander told him not to tell anybody. And then the commander, Lysias, took Paul to Caesarea in the Mediterranean and um, with a heavy armed guard and with a letter to Felix telling him how he had rescued him from the temple and how he had discovered this plot and so on and so forth. And um, he was imprisoned there with Felix and Festus until he made his appeal to Caesar. And we get that in chapter 24 and 26. In 24, Paul witnessed to Felix. In 25, he appeals to Caesar. In 26, he witnesses to Agrippa. Every time Paul was brought forth, he was the prisoner, but he put them on trial before the divine judge. (laughs) Amazing. You see, the world has nothing over on me. I need nothing from the world. I make use of the things here. I go to the store and everything else, but I'm talking about things for life. I know what truth is now. I am here as an example to share the truth of the gospel. I'm here to share the reality of life. Because I know what it is to be blind, dead, and stupid. I used to be there. I'm not any better than those who are still there. I'm just saved by the grace of God, you understand? And so having been in a burning building, 
And having been rescued, I cannot walk down the street and see a building burning and not get in there to save someone. You understand? And Paul was witnessing to um, Agrippa in Acts 26, 28. Agrippa says, Paul, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. Listen to me. You or I cannot persuade anybody to be a Christian. God may use our lifestyles. He may use some common ground to make that bridge. He may use archaeological evidence, scientific evidence, manuscript evidence or whatever to communicate the gospel, to deal with the individual. But only God can convict that person of sin and save them. You understand? Wish I could convince somebody to not go to hell and convince them to go to heaven. I cannot. They need to come to the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God as they hear the gospel. And then God, the Lord Jesus Christ, saves them. You understand? Now, what the sooner you understand that, the more you rest in what God can do. It is not your responsibility to save, only to be the messenger. As you know, he was transported to Rome. And he remained there for two years as he appealed to Caesar. In his own hired house, receiving all and preaching the kingdom of God, no one hindered him at all. Acts 28, 30-31 tells us. He was released and imprisoned again after that first imprisonment, at which time, as we know, he was beheaded by Nero. Paul assured the Philippians, if you remember in Philippians 1, 19-26, that God was going to release him from his first imprisonment. He told the Romans in Romans 15, 24-25 that he was going to Jerusalem, then to Rome, and then to Spain. He laid it out for them. In fact, when he wrote his second epistle to Timothy, 2 Timothy 4.20, he says, Erastus stayed in Corinth, but Trifemus I have left in Miletus, right where we're speaking from. Sick, verifying his first release from prison. Paul was released, and he went back through that area. It's very evident. And so, in view of these texts, there's no reason why we shouldn't think that he probably passed through this region again. Whether he ever met with the Ephesian elders, it's not important. He may have, but he certainly was released, and he did make his way out there. In fact, when he wrote that second epistle in 2 Timothy 4, 6-8, he says, I'm being offered up as a drink offering And uh, I'm ready to make a triumphant exit out of here. (laughs) God is a crown for me and all those who love his appearing. For Paul, it wasn't a sad day. It was a glorious day. In fact, Paul spoke of the difficulty that he had leaving Timothy in Ephesus the last time. Not the first time, but the last time. He says this in 2 Timothy 1.4. I greatly desiring to see you being mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy. There was a, a love relationship between these men in Christ Jesus. Paul being the older, Timothy being the younger, and he had learned so much. He had been brought uh, alongside ministry with Paul uh, from Lystra. He learned so much, left him at Ephesus, and, and they had to part, and it was a real difficult thing. And I'm sure that you can identify in, in, in situations like that. It's very, very difficult. Through the years of walking and serving Christ, rich relationships will be cultivated by each of us, and they will become precious to us. 
Don't ever hold your friendships with people in Christ as insignificant. They're very, very valuable. Make sure you're there to serve. Make sure you're there to value those things. Those who have been loving enough to confront us when we were not walking with God or according to His Word, these are really friends, you understand? If you have friends who are always telling you how great you are, get some new friends. Someone's going to confront you when, when you're being disobedient to God, when you're kind of flirting with sin. That's a person who loves you. Those who are so in love with Jesus that they've been a great example to us as, we, as we've seen them live, walk, and serve the Lord Jesus. They've been encouragement to us to do the same. And we thank God for them. Proverbs 27, verse 5 and 6 says this, Open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. The old King James says, secret love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of the enemy. But the kisses of the enemy are deceitful. Depends which translation you get. You see, love is always truthful. It deals with facts. Very, very important. These relationships should be based on Christ, not on personalities or due to being like-minded as people in the world. You know, in the world, we just favor the ones we like, the ones we hung out with, the ones who are like us. We have to be careful of that in Christ. Our relationships with each other are based upon the truth of the Scripture. It's based on the one who is at fault. We confront the one who is at fault. We don't let our friends slide and hang the innocent. You understand? At any point. Truth is important. It's based on being an example to others. And I've seen Christians as well as pastors respect people. Rather than allow the dictates of scripture to be the principle. And that's wrong. I have to go with the scripture. You understand? It's very important. There comes a time when the closest of relationships will be that we have must part, either by choice or by the direction of God. Sometimes people are called to different areas of ministry, or sometimes they move. And that's hard, and we've had this through the years. In the 27 years, we've had people come, they move, they move out to the desert, they move out of state, whatever, and they've served with us for years, and it's very difficult. Other times, it could be due to a person walking away from God, where I have to give them up as a public and just continue to pray for them. And not allow them access to fellowship for the sake that turning him over to Satan that he might return as that young man in the church of Corinth. You understand? But the thing is that we're being indoctrinated by the world to make decisions by our emotions. Your emotions are just emotions. They're deceptive. You must make your decision based on truth. Not feelings, not emotions. Amos 3.3 says, Can two walk together unless they be agreed? It's a rhetorical question with an obvious answer. No. The agreement, ladies and gentlemen, is upon God's word. We agree on God's word. We agree with God if we're going to walk together. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Psalm 133.1 If we're going to be united, it's going to be based on the common denominator of God's Word, His truth. Pastor Xavier Reese 
emphasizing the unity within the body of Christ with the gospel and the word of God, being the tie that binds the church as one. It's the simple truth drawn from Paul's bidding farewell to the Ephesian elders from Acts chapter 20. Now, there's much more to this study to come next time, but if your schedule won't permit you to tune in, as always, you can pick up a copy of this message, and the title you want to ask for is Paul's Witness to the Ephesian Elders. It's available on CD for just $4. And this might be a study a leader in your church or Bible study would appreciate hearing, too, when you're through. So once again, the title to ask for is Paul's Witness to the Ephesian Elders. Or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. Although there is a way that seems right to a man, next time Pastor Xavier Reese explains why God's Word is sufficient all on its own. Hope you're able to be back then. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com